Well, good evening and good morning, EPL State of Mind listeners. Welcome back for an action-packed episode as we unravel the highs and the heartthrobs of another split week in the Premier League. Arsenal and Liverpool stole the spotlight with impressive showings with high-scoring matches, but of course, there is more. And the big one for us this week is Ivan Toney's return to the pitch as it becomes the talk of the town as he led Brentford to victory after an eight-month betting suspension. We dissect Tony's triumphant comeback and impact he will have on the Bees in their second half of the season going forward, as well as break down the heated drama in the Steel City between West Ham and Sheffield United. But of course, you have myself, James, and my wonderful co-host, Sean Larkin, back on the mic here. Uh, took a little bit of hiatus, and now I get to enjoy a solo event with you. So, Sean, welcome back and uh, looking forward to this one for you, uh, especially since both of us have some good ones. Yeah, man. And you're, I got to say, if we don't send up a video, I will... I will try to paint everyone a picture. He is wearing quite the incredible retro Liverpool quarter zip. So it is very fashionable, my friend. Welcome. It might be as loud as humanly possible. You actually can hear this <laughs> this jacket that I'm wearing through the, your whatever device you're, you're listening to the podcast on. Hey, man, they knew fashion back there. Warm-ups is nothing that they would shy away from, so I'm impressed. <laughs> but uh, something that might be a little bit hotter than your quarter zip is some hot news here. And we have two things to highlight, one thing for the Red Devils and the other a little bit of transfer talk. So why don't you take it away and, and start with some possible good news for the Red Devils? Yeah, it started off with the uh, the hiring of Omar Barada as CEO at Manchester United. It's been long discussed by yourself and I about how much of a mess Manchester United have been for probably a decade since Alex Ferguson left. Um, so they're bringing somebody in who knows the city quite well. He's worked uh, for the City Football Group as their CFO for the last 10 years. He worked for Manchester City individually previous to taking over um, in the City Group. So obviously he's able to balance multiple clubs. Uh, he's kind of r rose through the ranks. He's a Moroccan-born, or excuse me, I believe he's born in Paris, but he's Moroccan descent um, and just really uh, a rising star in the game from a business perspective. Someone you should bring organization and also uh, a clear plan, which is something that I've criticized Manchester United for, that it's too reliant on the manager to set the vision for the club instead of the club and the board dictating how things should be run, it's installing a, a director of football, and then finding a manager who fits that vision versus versus you know the opposite perspective. Right. Um, so it's a, it's a loss for Manchester City, and it's obviously uh, a gain for, for Manchester United as well. I did find it funny that Manchester United fans have been uh, acting as if he's the only person related to Man City who has nothing to do with the 115 charges <laughs> that are currently looming over uh, Man City. I was going to say, and especially it's odd that he comes over now with potentially the FA or the Premier League supposedly saying to Manchester City that their date in court has come. They haven't revealed the date yet, but it maybe sounds like some fire bells are ringing over there, and maybe this will start a bit of a jumping ship for Man City. But definitely some good news. Like you said, we've been criticizing Manchester United for a while for that lack of vision. Going into our next section here of hot news, it's been relatively quiet this winter, as we kind of predicted. Last winter window was the most... Um, you know, extreme version of a transfer window for the Premier League. Uh, a lot of high spenders, again, Chelsea spending record record amounts, and they haven't done anything during this winter window, which definitely is the reason why. But some interesting rumors that have kind of sprung out over the past couple of days. And the first one is, man, uh, is Newcastle United. 
So they still remain the main subject of a must be, and I quote unquote here, a fire sale uh, due to some potential financial fair play violations that they're kind of teetering on the on the edge of. Um, we did talk about possibly selling, you know, a couple of their stars or one in particular, their star with Isaac or Bruno Camaris or Botman in the back. But sounds like they have reoriented their focus to someone who I never thought we would see leave Newcastle, um, you know, with being the main person they brought in to start their kind of revamp at when they had ownership. And that's their preliminary talks with Bayern Munich for a loan to buy or straight up buy of Captain Kieran Trippier. Now, this was a bit of a surprise to me, and it's a rumor. You know, Trippier has arguably been one of their most valuable assets, assets last year, and besides a few poor games this year, um, you know, that we highlighted so graciously when he was down in the dumps, um, <laughs> that he still is one of their, their most productive players. He's got seven assists. He's fifth in the league for big chances created and third in chances created overall. He's the right back. He plays more of a forward-thinking right back, a great distributor, takes all their corner kicks. He's their dead ball specialist. He's a large cog in the Newcastle scheme. But for a value that he's currently looking at, not so large of a cog for them to lose. So he's currently 33 years old. He's currently valued at $11 million. For reference, Trent, just because of the location, no uh, reference to their quality. But uh, just because he plays at a right back who's also a dead ball specialist, whips in a lot of balls, Trent Alexander-Arnold is 25, which is a large age difference, obviously, in this realm, being a pitch player. And he's valued at $72 million, which I think is is a little bit underrated for Trent's capabilities right now. But I wanted to bring that up because, Sean, for, for you, you know, I think we both, you know, enjoyed Trippier's time in the Premier League, especially coming from Atletico and being one of the major clubs over there. Do you think this evaluation of eleven million is is justified here? Um it's hard to say. I guess because he's thirty three, he's had some injury issues in the past and obviously the form is not great right now. And then also I think that plays a big part of it. And then when you look you take into account the fact that Newcastle's really been struggling um as you mentioned with FFP that they need the funds. I think that, you know, Bayern are a notoriously ruthless club, and they're certainly just looking to take advantage of the opportunity that's presented itself here. Um, it is funny to me that Thomas Tuchel seems hell-bent on reuniting the Mauricio Pochettino Spurs teams of uh, the <laughs> mid-2010s, which won, you know, loads of trophies, you know, famously. <laughs> Eric Dyer, Harry Kane, and now potentially Trippier as well. Um, I heard Eunice Kabul and Moussa Dembele started going on runs to stretch their hamstrings because they were <laughs> waiting for a call from Google at any time. So uh, definitely something to keep an eye on there. But another thing I wanted to mention as well is that uh, Miguel Almiron is rumored to go to Al-Shabaab in Saudi Arabia for around $20 million, uh, which is interesting that just as we start to hear some murmurs that uh, you know Newcastle will have to sell some of their big guns, to, to meet FFP regulations, suddenly an offer emerges from Saudi Arabia. And for uh, those of you who are not up to news, uh, Saudi Arabia's government, the public investment fund, uh, owns Newcastle United and owns Al-Shabaab. So it's basically to paying yourself with your left hand and, and pulling it with your right hand. You know what I mean? It, it is a little yeah. bit little bit sus. We fishy. Just, yeah, for sure. Definitely fishy. Uh, we saw the the Allenson Maximen transfer went under a lot of scrutiny earlier this year, uh, but he was also sold. I think he went to Al Halal, 
Um, but definitely someone to keep an eye on as well. I think Trippier and Almiron would would not be the most devastating losses to Newcastle, even though he is the captain. Uh, speaking of Trippier, because they have Tino Livermento uh, at right back, I think he's the long-term answer there. They brought him in this past summer. Um, then they have Lewis Hall on the other side as well. So um, certainly Dan Burns, another guy that's been mentioned as potentially mm-hmm. leaving in this window. But Newcastle seems to uh, you know, be in relatively good shape from a, a long-term point of view. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, they did take a, a major step back so far in the season where they were left off last season. Again, they're in 10th place, selling some of their key players that have, you know, really solidified their role in there. It will be difficult to overcome. So I'm interested to see how Newcastle adjusts to possibly losing some key players, maybe bringing in one smaller player to help with that future build. But one other area of a sort of rumor that kind of just popped up today and, and interesting because sitting in first place is Liverpool. They have some injuries mounting. Uh, their depth is now, as you can see from this weekend, I think it was great that Klopp was able to bring on some youngsters uh, from the academy and some real young players to get some minutes. But being in first place, you want to see your depth maybe be a little bit more solidified. So this is a rumor I thought might help Liverpool out. I'm curious to get your take on it. But Liverpool have increased their interest in Real Madrid. Eduardo Camavanga, he has played left back, center mid, and center defensive mid for the La Liga giant and might be a great addition for you guys as you don't have a first string left back right now. And then you might be able to have a full-time future with him only being 21 years old currently for the center defensive mid player to play with McAllister and Big Dom uh, Slobislai. So he's currently played in 12 matches. He has had a few injuries through his stay with Real Madrid. He started in nine of those 12 appearances. Again, he's 21 years old, extremely bright young talent. He's already had 13 caps with the French national team. Uh, his current value, though, is $82 million, which is typically steep for Liverpool. Uh, they typically do go out and get one large signing per window. Um, this past two seasons, their big number one signing was someone who we'll talk about later on, and that's Darwin Nunez. That he was brought in for roughly, or I think, 85 million pounds, something around that number. So it wouldn't be too far off that. But for a winter window transfer, it would be definitely large. So this might be something more in the summer. But Sean, I'm curious about what your feelings are with Liverpool's inactivity in this winter window being in first place with kind of their depth that they have going on. And if you could see that this is, you know, something to explore further. Uh, certainly. I mean, uh, from from the perspective of Liverpool's interest, yeah, they absolutely should be interested in Camavinga. Like you mentioned, he's extremely versatile. He's only 21 years old, um, you know, already has a, a Champions League under his belt. He's been, uh, you know, about one of the most exciting young prospects in the world for years. If you're a FIFA career mode player like myself, you know <laughs> a whole bunch about Eduardo Camavinga and his abilities um, for, for a long time. I just don't see it happening in this window. I think, um, yeah, definitely, like you mentioned, the depth at Liverpool is certainly being tested right now. Um, but from the other perspective, they do have a lot of guys that should be back before the end of the end of the month and, and the close of the window. And if that's not the case, then they can pivot. Uh, but I don't expect any signings. If they, if they bring anyone in, it will be a minor signing, in my opinion, maybe like a long-term type of thing. Um, they expect to get Robertson, Sobosly, Trent um, all back probably within the next two to three weeks, probably just after that Arsenal game, maybe a couple of those guys before. Uh, Simicast as well in that time frame, and then uh, Bayetic and, and Tiago. So um, those guys will be back. And then Salah obviously picked up an injury at, at AFCON, which is not great. That's going to be, uh, you know, even further loss, it looks like, probably extends beyond when he would have been back. Um, 
but we, we'll have to see it and keep an eye on that one. But sure, I mean, obviously, am I interested in Eduardo Camavinga? Yeah, I'm also interested in Margot Robbie, but I don't expect her to give me a call anytime soon. <laughs> well, in my defense, I think when you were saying that these guys uh, are all coming back, I think you rattled off maybe nine to 12 players right there. <laughs> so you essentially could almost roster a second string with that. But uh, very good point. Strong ones on, on both wants and possibly not getting there. But uh, that's kind of what we have right now for the hot news, transfer talk, and, of course, Manchester United's little big push here. Again, as Sean has mentioned before and, and previously, this was a split week. So we only had five English Premier League games this weekend, and next weekend is only the FA Cup. So we're getting a bit of a winter break for teams without even calling it technically a winter break. But uh, we do have a couple games that we want to talk about here and highlight. And the first one, I'll hand it right over to you, Sean, because this one was a doozy. This was Sheffield United 2, West Ham 2 at Bramall Lane. Uh, the expected goals were Sheffield United 2.4 and West Ham United 2.43. So another close one at XGs. Yeah, this was, for me, the game of the weekend, without a doubt. One of the most intense and heated games of the season so far. Um, a bit of first, there was a first goal for Maxwell Cornet. He moved from Burnley last summer um, and got his first goal at West Ham. And then Ben Brereton Diaz, who was just signed in this window, uh, brought in from Villarreal in La Liga. Um, he immediately hits the ground running and scores um, on his debut to equalize in this game. Then you had James Ward-Prowse score a pen uh, late, I want to say around the 79th minute. And then after that, all friggin' hell breaks loose. You had Rian Brewster, who got sent off for a nasty challenge. Deserved red card. It was a yellow card initially. Got upgraded to red by VAR. Three minutes later, Suchek gets sent off his second yellow. And he'd only been booked about like maybe four or five minutes before. I think it was like the 88th minute. He gets sent off. Deserved second yellow. Kind of stupid. I mean, you got to be more disciplined in that situation when you know you're on a yellow. You're seeing out a game. Um, and then from there... It seemed to give Sheffield United a little bit of life. They really started pushing forward, throwing guys forward, uh, cross into the box, uh, and Ollie McBurney went up for it, and Ariola decided to channel his inner Andre Onana and just <laughs> run right into Ollie yeah. McBurney. Uh, deserved to be a pen in the Wolves-Onana uh, incident that we talked about very early this year. Um, this time it actually was called a pen, and eventually Ariola had to be... Uh, substituted because he got injured on the play from running into McBurney. They bring on Fabianski, who ha is actually one of the best from you know from a statistical standpoint, best penalty specialist specialist, excuse me, in the Premier League. He guesses right, but McBurney shot beats him just under his right glove, and uh, yeah, it's now like you have noted here, the latest goal scored in Premier League history, one o three. So minute one o three, yeah. pretty incredible stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, the blades escape with a point really just a great game though. I would recommend checking out the highlights if you haven't seen that one already. It's definitely a, a must win or must get a point from, and coming from the sixth place, West Ham United, Sheffield United, great showing from them. They still are unfortunately dead last, but instead of losing a point, they gain a point and they're sitting with 10 points total, which is now only two behind Burnley who sit in 19th place. Definitely check out the highlights. I, I was able to catch that. I, even the new signing from uh, Ben from Sheffield, he actually had another a pretty golden opportunity 
I think it was early on in the second half where he had almost a one-on-one with the goalie, which he pushed wide, which would have been a great debut brace for him. I think it was a lacking of an opportunity there for him, but shows a lot of promise going forward. And then, of course, West Ham United are a bit of a a stumble currently right now still. That's a a second draw in a row. I just want to say I did call it in our halfway hopes and horrors. I said if there's one team I expect to fall off in the second half, it would be West Ham. Obviously, Kudus is ripping up AFCON right now. I think he's the top scorer so far in the group stage, but they definitely miss him. And, um, you know, it's at center back, they're just really, really weak. Uh, Agard is another guy who's missing for them. He's at AFCON as well. But um, going from a game that was really hotly contested and very, you know, close, complete opposite end of the spectrum, how about your boys, Arsenal, get off the schneid and just beating a lifeless Crystal Palace team? Oh, thank God. And and then unfortunately, as much as I want to hail the five nothing scoreline, this one was over when it was three nothing and the last two goals were just stealing candy from a baby. I mean, it was just the most distraught, devastated Crystal Palace team I think I've ever seen get put out on the pitch. But five nothing, absolutely no complaints from me. It's a clean sheet. We got a hockey assist, a beautiful hockey assist from David Red in the back that led to the third goal, which was our first open play goal uh, in quite some time that went straight out wide within seconds, put on a dime throw from David Raya out to Gabriel Jesus, who then played a peach-perfect pass cross to Leandro Trussard, who I will give immense credit to for two things. Well, I'm skipping out of order here because of the third goal, but I'm just so excited about it. But w- the first is when you watch him go down the left side, on his run, he checks his run. He makes sure that he stays and maintains an onside position. He's got a lot of speed going up, sees that he's going to be offsides, slows down his run, times it perfectly. Gabriel Jesus with a great ball. Leandro Tressard takes a great touch into the side, into his inside foot, which is his right foot, and slots the ball perfectly. Um, but getting back to the to the the bones of it, it was definitely great to see three open play goals, two coming from um, Martinelli, who came in late. I texted you, I think, earlier in the game. Like, I, I liked the starting of Leandro Tressard over Martinelli. This kind of happened last year when Leandro Tressard was just introduced in the January transfer window. Martinelli was kind of having a bit of a, a slump himself. Leandro Tressard came in in great form. When Martinelli came back, he went on a tear. So, Arsenal really all around here, very happy to see 5 nothing. I would have been happy with 3 nothing, but 5 with three open goals. Open play goals was fantastic. We do have to give a big shout out to uh, Gabriel, our center back. He scores his second goal of the season, his 12th or 13th overall. Uh, He's leading the defensive center back or defensive position since his coming of the English Premier League with goals. And he really could have had a second there um, this game, which was chalked off for an own goal. So huge shout out to him. One player of the match. I think he's been integral uh, to Saliba and our pairing. So really some credit where credit is due for Gabriel. He's been great. Had a, his first real stint with Brazil as of late, well-deserved. And you called it out the best way is that you have to free Eze and Michael Olise. These two guys, the Silky Smooth brothers, <laughs> you, you got to you gotta free them and you got to fire Hodgson. I think uh, I heard a joke this morning. You have to fire Hodgson to hire Hodgson to get him out of position that he's currently in because that's essentially what they did with Patrick Fiera last year. Um, but what's your take on on their current, uh, you know, fall here? Really, yeah, Crystal Palace is really uh, the state of horrible. affairs is pretty bleak 
in uh, in South London for for Palace. Like you said, I think um, it's time for Roy Hodgson to go. They have one win in their last ten games. Um, they've fallen to fifteenth in the table, but beyond the table, it's the way the football's looked. The fact that he's criticized their young players repeatedly this season, which is just really strange um, to me. They need to get a more forward-thinking manager. They had the right type of idea with Patrick Vieira in terms of someone who was younger, had a vision style of play um, that was specific. They can, you know, build it on Hodgson. You're kind of just in a holding pattern. It made sense to bring him in last year. He knew the club. He knew some of the players brought you stability, kept you up. You know, they ended up finishing 11th, but there's some good managers available right now. Uh, notably, Graham Potter is the guy that stands out to me. Steve Cooper, I think, mm-hmm. would also be a good fit as well. He just got sacked at Forest, but I think he's a very good coach as well. And, yeah, free my boys, like you said, Elise and as, and as I get free them because this is not right. I don't I don't like to see them struggling like this. I thought as they actually played pretty well, but uh, just did not did not have the help around them. Like I said, one win in the last 10, I think it's it's time for, for Roy to uh, bid the game adieu. He's 79 years old, so. Yeah, it's up there. Although hey, man, that- if I could. Although that could make you a president nowadays at age, so you never know. <laughs> well, we see how far that's gotten everyone. So we'll we'll see what we can do with Crystal Palace to see if they can get back to their death taxes and 11th to 12th place finish. Other than that, we did have another thriller of a game, and this was Brentford 3, Nottingham Forest 2 at the G-Tech Community Stadium in London. Uh, this was a really interesting, intense game, and I think it was the marquee matchup of the weekend. One, because we didn't have too many, you know, big title names. And then two, because it was the return of Ivan Tony. He finally finished serving his eight-month betting band and returned to the B-side starting and with the captaincy band on his arm. So this was really his return. He, it was very highly anticipated from him individually saying that he wanted to give the crowd wanted to give the fans, the supporters, the team, the community something back, and he wanted to do it immediately. So right off the bat, looks like it's going horribly for the Bees. Three minutes into the game, Danilo scores on what can only be described as a clusterfuck of a defensive <laughs> kind of <laughs> issue. I mean, three minutes in, you just have to not give up the first goal and give Ivan Tony. Five minutes to get onto the pitch. Just five minutes to try to get stuff going. But Danilo puts one in the back in that three minutes in. But it was rested on Ivan Tony's shoulders when it came down to it. And in the, I believe it was like the, the 32nd or the 24th, I forget what minute the goal was, but it was relatively at the middle point in the first half. He gets a free kick outside of the box on the right-hand side of the goal. One thing to note, is that Matt Turner is in the back of the net with Forrest, obviously a big USA shout-out there. I think there's five men in the wall. This is probably about like 23, 24 yards out. Ivan Tony places the ball down. Matt Turner sets up his wall as he's going back to his other post to make sure that he's got the far post covered. Ivan Tony picks up the ball, moves it not once, but twice further to the right, which now has changed the angle of his shot almost completely. And it In doing so, he actually picks up the magical spray foam that these referees do now and moves the spray foam in front of where he placed the ball as well. I don't know if you saw that, but it was absurd. So Matt Turner doesn't recognize this. The wall does not adjust its location. Ivan Tony essentially passes the ball into the back net. Great finish. Don't want to take away from Ivan Tony. Pops the inside of the post and goes in, and he returns to the English Premier League in style. It's actually... 
This goal mimics his last goal in the Premier League, which was last year. This was an exact replicate of his goal in the 82nd minute against Forrest at the G-Tech Stadium to tie the game 1-1. The Bees eventually went on to win that game 2-1. So this was was a start that he, uh, Tony so-called, manifested when he would return. So in a it, just one fun th- factor, one thing to say here, and then we'll move on to the rest of the game, is Ivan Tony was interviewed after the game with Sky Sports, and they asked him, like, moving the ball, was that what needed to happen? He said, yeah, you know, you get you get a yeah, – I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think it's that big a deal. You get, like, one or one yard or so of leeway. I'm like, I, I don't know about that, Ivan. You're always you're always thinking about something else. A little cheeky there, my friend. But regardless, the, the Nottingham Forest have actually written a letter to the PGMOL um, to, to talk about, hey, what, what, what the fuck happened here? What's going on? This guy moved the ball twice. Regardless, this was a must-win game for the Bees as their next two games against Spurs away and Man City home, I can only imagine, would have extended their losing streak to eight if they did not win this one. And that, by my friends, would be one of the worst streaks in the English Premier League history um, for a team such as the Bees who has done previously well. Uh, this does put Bees six points excuse me, clear of the relegation zone. Overall, this was a relatively even match game. Both teams answering the go-ahead goals. Uh, Nottingham Forest came back after uh, after the Bees went up 2-1 to tie it. But ultimately, this was decided and won at the boot of Neil Mopé with a fantastic left-footed volley for the 3-2 win in the 68th minute. He does a great job controlling the ball with his back towards the goal with his chest and then rips a volley with his left foot across into the side netting. So really hats off to Neil as well, especially someone who's been struggling a lot. But ultimately, what's your thoughts and feelings about the return of Ivan Tony? I mean, you could see how much the Bees attacking prowess opened up with just having him as an outlet and people be able to, you know, run off of him. Yeah, absolutely. I think you just summed it up perfectly there. Um, and and also shouting out your halfway hopes and horrors prediction. You said they were the team you expected to improve the most in the second half of the season. I assume he's a major reason for that. Um, yep. Like you mentioned, obviously, his free kick ability is a major asset that they didn't have. Um, overall, finishing ability is is top. And then also, he's quite good in the air, even though he's he's about five eleven, um, which isn't you know the most, the tallest, most imposing man in the world. He still can you know go up win headers, hold up play. He's he's really a top notch striker. So I think it's it's huge for them. And as you mentioned, it, it moved them. Six points clear of the relegation zone. They have two really tough fixtures coming up with Spurs and City. And from a Forest perspective, this one really hurts, especially with a potential deduction looming over their head. If they were to be deducted the same amount as Everton, which was 10 points earlier this year, they drop all the way to the bottom of the table. Obviously, that that also would include Everton getting another 10, so then mm-hmm. they'd be down there as well. But um, definitely something to monitor. And and they have a pretty difficult stretch coming up as well. Uh, they have Arsenal at home. They have Bournemouth away, which is a tough game. Uh, Newcastle away, West Ham at home, and Villa away in their next five. So there's three or four really tough games ahead for them. They really got to pick up points, particularly if, yeah. if that deduction is coming this season. Yeah, absolutely. They got a little bit of a new manager bounce. Nuno has been doing a good job, but that can only take you so far and they seem to be the butt end of the joke with they have a hundred thousand players but none of them can get the job done and of course we've <laughs> we've uh 
we've we've seen the miss of uh, Morgan Gibbs White as well. He's been injured, which is a is a massive blow to to Forrest. So they got to figure something out, and they got to figure it out quick. But a team that I think had a similar start to their game that they needed to figure out and they needed to figure out quick was Liverpool. And this was one of the better games of the weekend as well. The beginning I, I watched and, you know, we talked about it briefly two weeks ago, how we thought this could be possibly a banana peel game for you guys, you know, going to Bournemouth, uh, which is no easy feat. Typically uh, this fixture, they actually won last year. You guys already beat them twice this year, but you pulled it out for nothing from at Vitality Stadium. So, Sean, take it away here for the Reds. Yeah. I mean, it's like you like you talked about. First half was a really tough game to or it it was just a tough game. I think Bournemouth certainly had probably the better of the chances. It was difficult for Liverpool to get into the final third. From a midfield perspective, I was comfortable with the game. I thought Curtis Jones looked really good. McAllister mm-hmm. had nine tackles, which is the most he's ever had in a game. He's really starting to settle in and in that holding midfield position and just kind of dictate the, the tempo of the game. For me, he was the man of the match. I know there was dueling braces from Nunez and Jota, but uh, I thought McAllister was the best player on the pitch in this one. Um, I know you, you have a note here about about the creativity or lack thereof. Yeah, with no Trent, no Salah, no like I think we have about the creativity of a Cold War-era Russian architect. Um <laughs> But it it did seem after the second half, you know, after, excuse me, after the halftime break that the counter press served as the playmaker for Liverpool in that second half. They started to get a little bit more chances. And I think overall that Klopp's just done an excellent job either through substitutions or halftime adjustments in general where they've worn teams down consistently, particularly over the last, like, 10 games or so. They come out of the, the, the locker room and... They just seem to be a different team every time, and teams don't necessarily have an answer for it. Even the City game where they got totally played off the park the first half, they're down one nothing at the Etihad. They came out second half, made a couple adjustments, and it just seemed like, you know, they were the they were the better team. They started having you know more of the ball, more chances. So, um, really, really good win for them. We talked about it being a potential banana peel, but you know they were able to come out of this one relatively unscathed. Yeah. Absolutely. There's something about that second half halftime talk that, you know, Klopp really gets through the guys. And, and that was probably the most impressive thing that I saw over over that that match, essentially. Obviously, finishing with four goals in the second half, Liverpool lead the league in second half goals currently. So it's something special going on there. So, I mean, is there anything else about this game that you want to touch about? I kind of talked about, or the questions that I had for you were about the first half, the lack of creativity, you kind of touched upon that a little bit. You know, they did have four shots, zero on goal and, and no big chances created, which was a shocker. I think one thing that we do should probably mention, and it's not a lot of thing that people think about, especially being in England, there's a lot of rain, but the conditions of this match were absolutely blistering. It was windy. It was raining. It definitely is not something that is good quality game inducing. So I think that probably had a bit of, of something to do with it too. So adjusting to that in the second half was definitely good for for both sides. From the Cherries' point of view, really didn't develop much either outside of that first half, and it was just a Liverpool's game to win at that point. Um, big shout-out, I got to say, and we talk about him all the time, is Diego Jota. I mean, he you have the note here, he is probably one of the most clinical, purest finishers in the league. If you want someone coaching your son, your daughter, the future of an academy, 
you want this guy heading up your strikers, finishing drills. Because it's every time. I mean, anytime I see him go on against the pitch against Arsenal, one, he for some reason has a massive vendetta against Arsenal and just scores every single goal. But it's it's just pure. He he knows how to finish the ball. Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit it on the head. He's he's super clinical. Obviously, you know, there's guys who are score more goals, they're more creative, they get more opportunities. Um, but just left foot, right foot, heading. He puts his shots always go low and in the corners. He's just lethal. He's an absolute. There's actually a new Assassin's Creed game coming out. It's called the <laughs> Diogo Jota version. He's unbelievable. Um, yeah, and the weather is. It's a good thing you mentioned that too. Bournemouth. I don't know if anyone's familiar with the geography of England. It's just basically in. The, it's in the ocean. It's in the Atlantic Ocean. Um, so it is nasty there at times um similarly when the teams played at the uh at vitality stadium during the Carabao cup it was a mess um so yeah similar and just my last thing i have to bitch about paul tierney as Mm. per usual he was on var duty in this game justin clivert had a a foul on luis diaz in this game studs extremely high on the ankle above the ankle even almost on his calf Yep. No foul was given on the play. VAR ch- checked it and cleared it almost immediately. And my cousin Matt, who is a Brighton fan, does not have any interest in either team. Texted me, "How's that not a red?" It's a great question. Yep. And then um, yep. I found out about five minutes later that Paul Tierney was on VAR. <laughs> I was like, "Okay, I'm not even upset." It checks now out. It makes sense. It it, it, it yeah, checks exactly. out. It tracks. It tracks because he is. Him ever since him and Klopp got into it, I think about two years ago, he's just been horribly biased. And I hate to complain about officiating, but it's at this point, watch the next time that he's assigned to a Liverpool game and tell me that it's an evenly officiated match. I would I challenge you to 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 come with examples of of that being the case. Um, To me, it's very similar to the Curtis Jones red card against Tottenham this year. And yep. as well as the Casemiro challenge from the year before, you go over the ball, you hit a guy with your studs high above the ankle. It should be a red card, and and it wasn't. Not even a yellow, not even a foul on the play, so the ref missed it. But VAR is in place to solve those types of issues. Just my last thing, I'll get off the soapbox now. <laughs> no, very fair. And, you know, for our next weekend look ahead, I will ask you the next time that Paul Tierney is officiating a Liverpool game to make sure that we put that out for everyone to 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 make sure that they watch and the look ahead because that will be entertaining. We'll make some type of drinking game up for it. Maybe we'll uh we'll figure that one out. Maybe if we're lucky, he'll be the ref for the Arsenal Liverpool game because that would that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I wonder why you'd want that. I have no idea. I have no hidden agenda behind that whatsoever. But. Because we're we're doing so well and we're moving along here and it's the two of us. I figured we pop right into the weekend look ahead and we can kind of go straight from there. Again, like I said before, there are no Premier League games this weekend. It's a bit of a winter break, but it is the FA Cup. It's the fourth round of the FA Cup as well. You still have Liverpool in it for you. Unfortunately, Arsenal are out because of our loss to Liverpool um, in some empathic, uh, some in crazy fashion. Uh, but other than that, we have a couple games to highlight here, and we also have Carabao Cup semifinals midweek. So yep. where do you want to start first? You want to do Carabao Cup or you want to do yeah, FA? I'll just quickly do Carabao Cup. So the first first game in that, that is tomorrow. That's Chelsea-Middlesbrough at Stamford Bridge. Middlesbrough's up 1-0. Um, and then there's Wednesday. Liverpool travels down to London as well um, to take on Fulham. They're up 2-1 on aggregate. So we'll just 
breeze past that and hop right into the FA Cup. Uh, the the pick of the bunch for me is Manchester City traveling to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Friday. It's it, it's Pep's house of horrors. I wish we had <laughs> Kyle on here because I know how much he hates when they travel to London. He loves to bring up that it's four and a half hours. It's so far. It's, it's I so mean, far. You can get on a train to Boston. It's the same distance. So, <laughs> and no, I've never but they got it. They have to do it, what, seven times a season because there's, what, 29 teams in London, so Pep's <laughs> got a real thing for it. I, I guess so, but um, they've yet to score in their five visits to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium since it was built. Um, Ange Postacoglu has Spurs humming. I think this is going to be a really tough one. And obviously, you know, City are looking to defend their treble. So will be a game to monitor. I think at the end of the day, City still has the quality, particularly without Son, without James Madison, mm-hmm. uh, with Basuma and Saar at AFCON as well. You'd favor City to win this game, but they like I like we talked about. They have not scored at Tottenham Stadium in five tries. So will be yep. something to monitor. Obviously, it was a different management, but um, we'll see if if te- uh, Tess if Pep. Can escape his demons. Yeah, if uh, if he needs some backup, if Pep does need some backup, I, I'll be on the next plane over. I don't care what team <laughs> it is, but if the, someone calls me and says I need some help in the English Premier League, I will <laughs> I'll switch teams immediately. But other uh, unless it's Spurs, uh, oh my god! I mean, oh, come on, it's a it's an English Premier League game job. <laughs> but with that being said, Chelsea do get double action this week, which is something they have not had during the regular season because they're in no European tournaments. They would only get it for Carabao Cup. So it is Chelsea versus Aston Villa at Stamford Bridge. So I think a big swing here is because it's at Stamford Bridge, Chelsea have been doing relatively well when it's at home, even when you doubt their ability their their ability to play at home at the bridge always helps them. Uh, Villa do look to reestablish a, a, a good run and being firmly in the big eight, including Newcastle, which we might have to cross out by the end of the season. <laughs> by defeating Chelsea at the bridge for the second time this year, they did beat them one nothing in September. But, you know, as we said, Chelsea have always played well against those tougher teams. They seem to have a tendency to play up to their competitor. So it'll be an interesting time to see what we can we can get out of this game, especially that coming after a, another home fixture against Middlesbrough, who in the Carabao Cup should be a comfortable win for Chelsea as well, being from a lower tier division. Uh, as far as head to head goes, Chelsea have 15 wins over Villa. And the last set of games, all three at Stamford Bridge, Stamford Bridge have gone Villa's way. one nothing in September, 2 nothing in April, and one nothing in December. So not looking great stat-wise, but we'll see if Chelsea can swing it around here and continue their press for at least two trophies this season. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they definitely have to turn it around against Middlesbrough. That would be a, a big upset if they weren't able to uh, to overcome that one nil deficit. I'm sure Middlesbrough is going to stay deep. And then you know Villa, not a team to underestimate by any means. I know uh, when we had Logan on, he didn't really care about the FA Cup. Wants to get knocked out and just focus on Conference League and 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 the league. Um, but I expect Emery to come with a really strong lineup. I think that's going to be a doozy. Um, both those games are on Friday as well, I think, at 2.45 and 3 o'clock, meaning the uh, the City-Spurs game being the other one. Um, but the last game I wanted to talk about is on Saturday. It's between Maidstone United 
an Ipswich town. Um, and the reason why I've highlighted this game is because Maidstone United plays in the sixth, not the first, not the second, not the third, not the fourth, not the fifth, the sixth tier of English football. They are the Cinderella story. If you like March Madness, this is the March Madness Cinderella. Um, so this is a team definitely to keep an eye on. They've had a really good run. They're all the way, obviously, now in the in the fourth round of the FA Cup. There's you know previous rounds for teams outside of the EFL, so this is a, a major achievement for them. And um, definitely something to keep an eye on. They're headed to Portman Road. Ipswich Town is one of the best teams in the championship this year. Right now they're in second place in the table, and uh, which would put them on course to be automatically promoted. So um, obviously Maidstone are heavy, heavy underdogs, but definitely a team on Saturday. There'll be a bunch of games on ESPN+. Plus. Just keep your eye on that one. You never know. There might be a shocker there. Yep. And that, like you said, March Madness, the excitement of the magic of the FA Cup. And just so you guys know, I think it was in the, in the sixth tier, there's actually two divisions in it, right? There's a north and there's a south. That's how many teams play. And then the division below is pretty much, you know, Sunday Football League. You're kicking in a backyard, essentially. <laughs> so this is about as low as you can get while still being officially in the EFL. There's one more tier below it, but this is, this is something exciting to watch. Uh, we don't have a lock of the week this week because of the cup games. But when we return, I believe, Sean, it's, it's your go at it to try to get a little bit closer to 500, and we'll see how we can do from there. Yeah, I, I just apologies to everyone who's been betting on our locks of the week. They've been they've been really <laughs> rough. I don't remember who what the pick was last week. I think Kyle. No, it was Kyle picked Arsenal, and and that hit chalk, just absolute yeah. chalk. Arsenal at home against Palace. I mean, that's just a <laughs> clear desperation from a guy who's just been getting absolutely <laughs> brutalized on locks of the weeks, but. Um, I, I will do my research, and I'll have a better pick for you guys next week. Yes. I'm looking forward to it. I'm also looking forward to the, a little bit of a break this weekend for the for the Gunners, but looking forward to watching some cup plays and then looking forward to talking to everyone again next week. But until then, enjoy the remainder of your week. Enjoy the magic of the cups, and we'll see you then. Mm-hmm.